You are listening to The Interactome, a podcast by a group of young researchers who want to connect you to the world of science by sharing their stories and perspectives. Just in case their bosses are listening, they want to remind you that the opinions expressed here are their own. They also want to remind you not to take anything they say as medical or professional advice, as they are not doctors. Not yet, anyway. Stay tuned about that. And, without further ado, welcome to the Interactome. Hi everyone, um, welcome back to the Interactome. If uh, you've forgotten who I am by now, because I haven't been on a couple episodes, um, I'm uh, Sam, I... I'm a biochemist, but that's actually not really important for this uh, meeting, so I'm actually going to disappear. Um, but I'm here to introduce our guest today, um, who I know very well. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, our, <laughs> yeah, so our, our guest today is actually my girlfriend, uh, Margaret, who... Woo! Hi, guys. Uh, who is a scientist... Uh, in her own right, probably more of a scientist than I am at this point. <laughs> uh, and she uh, studies um, something called mass spectrometry. So uh, she'll go into explaining what that is because obviously she knows more about it than I do. Um, but uh, she's joining us today um, because she does some really cool science and she works with some really cool people. Um, so I'll uh, let her and everyone else this episode, so that's Joe, Natalie, and Sarah, uh, kind of take control uh, uh, while I go and uh, be quiet in the other corner, uh, building a little um, model piece of heavy equipment, uh, which is, I guess, a new <laughs> hobby I picked up, <laughs> um, because I clearly have some uh, opinions already about everything she's going to say. I've heard half mm-hmm. of these stories, and so I've been like, wait, that's what you were talking about? Um, so... Uh, I'll let you all go, but I just wanted to introduce our guest because, you know, I, I dragged her here. <laughs> well, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, Sam, thank you so much for that introduction. And listeners, welcome back. Um, I'm Natalie, uh, science communicator here at the Interactome, one third of our hosts this week. And so um, I'll turn it over to my other co-host for this episode to just give a little introduction. Hey, everyone. Um, I'm Joe, uh, currently a med student uh, at the University of Pennsylvania, but also hoping to do a PhD as well. Uh, big science nerd, very into molecular biology, and that's kind of my, my thing. Um, but I'm very excited to learn a bit more about kind of like the chemistry sort of uh, physics kind of side of things. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Hey everyone, I'm Sarah. Um, I agree with Joe. I'm also a medical student. I don't really run into a lot of chemistry and physics on the regular as much anymore, so I'm excited to hear more about what Margaret has to say. Um, So I guess given that, um, Margaret, if you want to give us a little bit of background about yourself, where'd you go to school? Um, What was your background like? How did you get to where you are today? Sure. Uh, Thanks again for having me. I graduated from Northeastern University in 2019 with a degree in biochemistry. And during that time, I had sort of a mixed biology and biochemistry background. I worked in a bacteria lab uh, as an undergrad, but what I also did at Northeastern were a couple of internships. And one of those was in a mass spec core lab. Um, And that was sort of where I learned to appreciate the power of the technique and what it could do to help us understand the chemical basis for disease and for therapeutics. Uh, I'm a PhD student now. I mostly study the molecules in the brain, uh, but... Very broadly speaking, uh, I'm going to quote my PI here. Uh, He considers himself a biochemist with a capital C. So sort of with an emphasis on the chemistry, but uh, wanting to focus on living systems and how they can go wrong. 
I think that's so cool. And so you've mentioned that what you do is you called it a technique, I believe. So we've brought up the name quite a few times, but I'm going to say what everyone's asking. What the heck is mass spec? Oh, that's an episode. <laughs> yes, episode Natalie. Title right there. That's the that's title. That's the episode title right there. <laughs> um, yeah. So mass spec is sort of the dictionary definition is it's an analytical technique that is used to measure the mass to charge ratio of ions. And a way that I heard it described in class that I actually really like is you can think of it like a scale that weighs really, really small things like individual proteins or even parts of proteins. Um, yeah, that's sort of what I spend my time doing. And then uh, what I can do is I can take a cell sample or a tissue sample. I can cut up the proteins into little pieces. Um, and because that that is what the mass spec is able to weigh. Like you can think of a scale having a capacity. Um, there are special mass specs that weigh really big things, uh, really big in this case, meaning whole proteins, which are of course still very small. But when I, that is sort of the scale at which I work. And what is the advantage or what, or what can those samples tell you, even if they're so small, if you're weighing them? Like, what sort of insights can those give you as a scientist? So you can get information about how abundant a protein is in a sample. Okay. Uh, I spend a lot of time, a lot of my projects focus on neurodegenerative disorders. So I'm very interested in which proteins are more or less abundant in, let's say, a disease like Alzheimer's disease. Um, and what I can also do is I can get very specific about the ways that they are changing. So proteins are dynamic. Proteins are not set in stone. Uh, they can have things stuck to them or removed or be cut in half or really any number of things. Um, and the mass spec provides information about how that happens and when. Um, when during the course of a disease might this be the case? So if you are investigating a disease, in your case, you look at particular molecules in the brain, is it, do you maybe wait for an event to happen, right, that could possibly trigger the proteins to fall apart, change shape, um, or is it kind of like you're sampling kind of randomly to kind of pick through yeah, interested in your thoughts there. Yeah, so I'm sampling pretty randomly. Okay. Um, I get sort of a population of uh, people who have passed away and donated their brains to this particular study. Um, and then our neuropathologist colleagues um, can provide some diagnostic information. Um, and then they can just send them to us and we can run our experiments. Um, and I think what I should say too, is I alluded to this a little earlier. Um, I can do this on sort of any type of sample. I can take sort of oh. cultured cells. I can take, uh, tissues. I have a project right now that looks at arteries from people's brains. So it, I'm not always just looking at brain. Um, and again, it is... I am trying to say what and how much of each thing is in a particular sample. Do the samples like look like brains? Like when they oh, come yeah. in, are you like, oh my gosh, yeah. that's a brain. That's um, cool. I mean, the brains, when I use them, they tend to be frozen and I tend mm -hmm. to be making sections of them. So it's not quite so, it it doesn't feel as much like a brain, but I tend, okay. <laughs> the, 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 the things... I, I do I do work with mouse brains pretty frequently too, just for like method development. Because mm -hmm. um, I want to a, a mouse brain I can buy for cheap. Um, a human brain is precious. Um, True. And so I work a lot with mouse brains, and those are a little disturbingly squishy. <laughs> um, we don't have to keep that in, <laughs> but. Um, but I, I also, I was working with the arteries just sort of late last week, and those are, um, those feel 
they're, they're very organic. Let's, it's let's it's stressful it to handle something so small, like when you're sampling, because I also feel like if you're doing a technique that your samples are so itty bitty and you're measuring like mass to ion, like ratios to ions, um, is that, can that be like stressful when you have like only a limited amount of sample and you have to get all this information from it? Yes, it can be. Um, so the sample is still visible to me before I go mm-hmm. and start to process it. But once it is in solution, I can't see the proteins. I just have to sort of trust that they're there. And there's a lot of steps where they can go missing, so to speak. Um, and so especially when I do an experiment for the first time, I save fractions. I save samples of each step so that later if I run it on the mass spec and don't see anything I can retrace my steps and say okay where did I lose my sample I have a this is kind of a related question um but I just want to make sure I understand so in general the goal of mass spec is to weigh pieces of proteins and by seeing uh, how much of each protein we have in a sample, uh, we can kind of get a sense of what's going on inside, like the brain tissue or the artery or things like that. And you can tell that a lo- the quantity of um, a, a protein is different in like your control versus your treatment because you have just more of one right. in the other. Yes. And But how do you... How do you actually, like, differentiate between protein A and protein B in a sample? That that seems, like, for, for me, like, I, I mean, I, like, I know, like, in my experiments, I have antibodies that can, will stick to one protein but not the other, and I can use that to determine which protein is which. But in your case, you're working at an even smaller scale. And so I'm just very curious about how you can, like, based on what I understand about mass spec thus far, um, it seems like you can get a sense of, like, just little, like, the size of little pieces of proteins, but, like, how do you match that to an identity of a protein, if that makes sense? No, this is a great question, Um, and gets at a really key part of the experiment. So what we do, we essentially, after we run a mass spec, we end up, for lack of a better way to put it, we end up with sort of a list of mass to charge ratios that are observed. Those can then be searched against a database of proteins. Um, There's a few, but a really well-known one is Uniprot or Swissprot. Um, And so... Those, you can say, okay, I want to look in all human proteins, and this is how I cut them up so I know what pieces I'm looking for. The, the software will match them, match the observed mass-to-charge ratios to pieces of human proteins. And so this takes a while. This is something that I set up usually in the evening. That is the last thing I do before I leave, and I come in in the morning, and it might be done. Um, so this takes a while, depending on the size of your search space. How many proteins are you searching against? If I'm searching in all of the human proteins, again, that takes a second. Um, but yes, the software is what helps us match this list of mass to charge ratios to observed proteins. And to your question earlier about how do you differentiate two proteins, you can tell your software how specific you want to be. Uh, usually I tell it, I want to, I, I want to use, I want you to only, only show me proteins that have two peptides that belong only to them. So that helps us differentiate between two closely related, two or more closely related proteins. Um, And then that, uh, that, that's how we sort it, sort of. Interesting. Um, And so you can, 
tell like how many peptides are in each little like just for for context for our listeners what a peptide is um is it's a basic correct me if i'm wrong everyone um it's essentially um a a a chain of amino acids and so uh, a protein is a like a big chain of amino acids and peptides are small chains of amino acids and when you chop up a protein you get different peptides um and so yeah uh amino acids are your building blocks peptides are like small chains made of the building blocks proteins are big chains made of the building blocks um so just adding a little context there um and so just to reiterate to make sure i understand you're saying like based on these mass to charge ratios that you get in the experiment you can figure out you can correlate those mass to charge ratios with different like peptides. And so let's say if I have a mass to charge ratio of, I don't know, like maybe I'm, maybe I, this is a poor example. Um, I, for context, I don't do mass spec. Um, None of us get, do I, like, other than Margaret yeah, well, on this call. Yeah. We're all like, if, what's if happening? I get, if I, so if I get a mass to charge ratio of, I don't just for very, very, um, like a very simple example, if I get a mass to charge ratio of like three, like three, uh, like three, three masses or like three units of mass uh, to one positive charge or something like that, um, that's different. Like that's one, one peptide. And then if it's six units of mass to one positive charge, for example, that, that could be another peptide potentially. Is, is that a I, yes good that's word? a that's a pretty good uh visual i guess a good okay. example um okay. and so yes that um mm. the the software like i said is linked up with the database and can tell us what yeah. proteins in that list are there yeah um yeah. All right. Very cool. So you've got. Oh. oh, go ahead. No, 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 no. no. You go ahead. Okay. Well, I was gonna say. So you're studying, <laughs> you're studying the brain, which is super cool. So you have all these proteins that you're lining up through this mass spec and identifying them. What do you do then? How do you gain more information from your overall picture and experiment? What What's your next step? If I was designing something like that with a mass spec, what would I want to do as a scientist? Sure. So having, um, having the information from the database saying what proteins are there and how much of them are there, that's a big part of the puzzle. Um, that gives us information about what pathways might be affected. Um, there are other tools and other softwares that uh, will let me... Uh, sort of parse out what processes might be changing because in in one of my samples, I might have anywhere from a few hundred to a couple thousand proteins. Um, Not all of those are going to be of particular interest to me um, based on the processes that we're studying or, um, or things like that. But what really happens is I rely very heavily on other sort of subject matter experts. Um, I mentioned earlier that I work with neuropathologists. Um, I also have some collaborations with uh, people in the engineering department where I go to school. Um, And they really help me place that information in context. Uh, So if I can say, all right, type one collagen is more abundant in my treated samples than my controls, they might, they will help me sort of figure out what that might mean. Hmm. And I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel, or I think a big benefit of that um, is, you know, you get all these samples and they're not labeled for you, right? You go in and you're like, I have to, you don't go in with any preconceptions you're just like i'm gonna run um 
the mass spec on these samples, no bias, no background information. You get these results and then you're able to bring them to people of different disciplines who might have additional um, insight into that particular area. And then they provide overall context to your results, which you can then use um, for science. I guess that is science, but like you, you know, then you do the next step. No, that is, that is a really good point. Um, I So usually what will happen is I will have picked up my samples from my collaborator or he's sent them to me or whatever. Um, I will have like an Excel file that has sort of the diagnosis information for the samples. but And so I will get a sense of, okay, I have 12 Alzheimer's and 10 control, whatever. Um But all of these samples have some sort of identifier on them uh, that helps me track which is which. Mm -hmm. And then I don't really look at the Excel file again until I have run the sample or I've run all of the experiments. Yeah. Um, Because I want to do this blinded and in a random order. And I think it's important, you know, for our listeners to talk about why it's so crucial to do that in a random order. Um, I think it's not, I think, I know it's a huge part of the scientific method, right? That keeps you unbiased. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you guys are, you three are the ones actually doing the science. So maybe you could kind of just touch on the importance of being, of like not having that bias in samples. Yeah, I mean... There certainly, like, if you know, like, in an experiment like this, if you know where, like, which sample is, like, which, that you might be more likely to come to certain conclusions about the data, Um, or or maybe do different things with your samples before you actually analyze the data, Um, at least in my opinion. Um, I think one key thing one key point that to drive home for our listeners is uh, that, uh, Margaret, correct me if I'm wrong, this kind of research starts off being hypothesis free. So um, you're like, in, you're not necessarily, um, or may, maybe I'm incorrect about this, Margaret, but. No, you're in right. A lo- um, in a, these are hypothesis generating experiments is what we call them. Okay. And so for, for just regarding, like, a lot of my research is usually uh, hypothesis-driven. So I will say something like, okay, if I think that if I give my cancer cells this drug, then the cancer cells will die. And I could do an experiment where I have a, uh, like, a, like, two dishes of cancer cells and one I give a uh, control solution to maybe just like water and then I give a treatment solution to the other sample like maybe drugs in some water and I just kind of plot both solutions one on one dish one on the other look to see if cells die or not and so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to um I'm trying to see if there will or will not actually be a difference between the two groups. Um, And so I'm trying to reject my null hypothesis, which is that um, there is going to be no difference. And so if um, this gets a little, I think the, the, the logic and philosophy behind this can get a little confusing, but my goal here is to uh, assess whether there is a difference or not. And if I do see that, the cancer cells die in the drug treatment group and I see that they don't die in the control group, I could say that they are, um, that they are, uh, they certain they are different from each other and I can reject my null hypothesis, which would be that there is going to be no difference. Um, but in this case, we're not doing that. We are looking to see, or we're basically, we're just trying to see whether there may be differences and what kinds of differences, rather than having a preconceived notion about what specific difference we're going to look for. Right. Correct. And with the exception of it being some difference in proteins. 
Right, but, but, but to extend the example here a little bit, yeah. sometimes a way that those hypothesis-driven experiments are uh, conceived of mm-hmm. is from something like a mass spectrometry experiment, yeah. where perhaps Joe has given me um, con- untreated and treated cancer cells. I analyze them and I come back and I tell him what proteins are different between them. Mm-hmm. And then Joe goes to the literature and searches up what uh, proteins, what drugs might uh, interact with those proteins, and then chooses to treat his cancer cells with a drug that interacts with a protein that I found to be different. And so that's yeah. sort of the way that it can fit into the context of with so i um joe your explanation on the cells um treating them with different drugs was a great one and i think it's um that type of science is maybe what people are most familiar about familiar with when you think of yeah. science you know you you want to find the answer to the question is it i can imagine myself you know if i was in your shoes margaret doing mass spec getting overwhelmed at the prospect that there really is no question yet. How do you maybe navigate that, that balance having to actually find the questions yourselves? You know, do you like, what are, what are the challenges there? And then maybe what are like, what's exciting about it? Yeah, that's a, that's a really, really good question. Um, Because as you've said, uh, a lot of people are much more used to hearing about experiments like Joe describes, um, where you have a hypothesis in mind and you go in and you test it. It can be a little bit difficult sort of explaining what I'm doing um, Mm -hmm. to, let's say, funding agencies. (laughs) Um, And so that can be... I've had to practice doing that. Um, So when you're applying for funding right and you have to um listeners for context when you apply for funding you have to write out what you're going to use the funding for and margaret it seems like in your case you're going to be like i'm gonna look for questions right Right. and you gotta have to spell that out Mm -hmm. and it's not and just because there's no question doesn't mean that there's no value in that like obviously there have been breakthroughs because of mass spec and that science needs to be there that investigation needs to be there but it can be hard to justify it for people who are uh, fighting, you know, for those for those funding uh, allocations, for sure. Right. And so I, I'm, I'm going to keep harping on this, but I rely so heavily on my collaborators um, and the people who help me contextualize it for that. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super important. I think that goes kind of to the philosophy that we're trying to drive home for our listeners through really all of our episodes. Like none of, none of the work that any scientist or really any person does in any one field is um, sufficient or, or like you need, you need other kinds of people uh, doing other kinds of things to help make sense of the information that we obtain in science, uh, in, I don't know, economics, like many other fields as well. Um, discoveries don't happen in a vacuum nope right and so it's great in that I can do the instrumentation sort of work that I love Mm. um, but place it in sort of any number of contexts I have a I have a random fun question Um, what's the coolest thing that you've used your mass spec for do you have like a favorite that's a good question, Sarah. Um, I mean, I, I am biased towards this project with the arteries um, mm-hmm. because there's not a whole lot we know about them. Like, I start doing literature searches, and it isn't to say that I come up totally empty-handed, but we don't understand. <laughs> um, and so to, to think about I could help sort of drive these breakthroughs in this disease that we don't really understand the mechanism of um, is um, 
is really cool. Question. Uh, which disease are we talking about specifically here? We are talking about Alzheimer's disease. Oh, very good. And so we have some collaborators who've been studying how arteries change um, Mm. in Alzheimer's. Yeah. Um, And so they came to us wanting wanting to understand, okay, what proteins are different. That's pretty bloody interesting, if I do say so myself. Pun jail. Joe is being sentenced <laughs> to pun jail. No, you know you appreciate it. You I do. Know you appreciate it. I do. Um, so you said that you know they come to you. Why did why did they come to you? You know, in that particular instance, like, do you have like a cutting edge technology, like a mass spec that's maybe like more advanced than you know? Um, um, what made them pick your lab? Right. So we have a long history of studying molecules that were of interest to them. Oh, okay, Um, cool. I mean, to to your question, yes, we do have some pretty cool cutting edge mass spec, but I feel like we'll get there later. (laughs) I, um, kind of going back to like working with different people in different disciplines, like in my experience, um, the, the upside of working with different people and disciplines is that you get a lot of different, like, wh- like people can, you can, as a team, you can more effectively explain what you're seeing yes. in the data or things like that, or more effectively come up with solutions to scientific problems or things like that. It seems like the challenge is that, um, at least, um, in my personal experience, uh, the challenge with collaborating with people from different disciplines is sometimes not everyone speaks the same language. Yes, and that's so, a really good way to put it. Um, we might, even even within my lab, I learned this the other week, or I finally put it together the other week. Mm-hmm. We sometimes use the same word to describe two different things. Oh, interesting. Um, and so, yeah, when you start talking cross-discipline, this problem just gets compounded. And so Mm -hmm. I have to be very careful with my verbiage um, and with what words, and I have to be careful to define what I'm saying. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember a couple months ago in this meeting for the artery project, um, I used a word that I have not had to define for anyone in my lab, but one of the uh, other professors said, hey, can you back up for a second and explain what you mean? Um, And yeah, so I just have to, again, be very deliberate in what words I use and be careful to define terms that even, um, that I might use every day, but that they don't hear every day. Yeah. I guess even, even though we're all like, everyone in the conversation in that case like are all scientists Mm -hmm. it seems like everyone's so highly specialized that sometimes like yeah they may not know anything about the other person's research or experience or even the words they use Mm -hmm. i I think that's why like to it it blows my mind every day that there's just so much information out there that like even as scientists like sometimes it's like we're just so incredibly different that it's hard to understand each other which is it's just intriguing i guess Another, what are some of the other challenges that you've kind of faced when working with people in different science disciplines, if there are any? Yeah, so because of sort of the collaborative nature of my work, Mm -hmm. um, I I have a lot of irons in the fire at any given time. And it's really, really easy to get spread too thin. Um, Mm -hmm. I have had to be really, really careful in what I say yes to. Um, And last year in particular, I I said yes to way too many things. Mm -hmm. And so sort of at the start of this year, I had to spend some time sort of paring down my list of things that needed to happen. And then I needed to sort of schedule them out so Mm -hmm. that I could say, okay, if someone came to me, I could check my calendar and say, okay, I I have to do this in March in order to stay on track, but can we talk in April? Yeah. Um, Hmm. 
Professional advocacy is something that is so challenging across, you know, so many disciplines. I struggle with that. I am not a practicing scientist. And just being able to set that boundary and be like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm more than happy to help you. But it's going to have to be, if you need my help, it has to be on my time because I've got my stuff that I got to do. Um, and, and I am so lucky in that the people around me are supportive of that. That's um, awesome. That's so this important. This is huge. Um, and so, yeah, I, it, it, it's been a, a lesson to learn still, but fortunately I have a supportive environment in which to do it. I guess, uh, why do you, like, why do you like mass spec? Like what, what? Why do you, like, why do mass spec over something else? Like, what may, what do you find so interesting about it in general? Yeah, so it's, I, I said earlier that you're really just measuring the mass to charge ratio of peptides or whatever it is that you're looking at. And that's, on its face, sounds really simple. But it's... It, it provides so much information about your system or whatever it is that you're looking at. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of data analysis. I have to sit down mm-hmm. and look at either my output from my database um, or just sort of the more raw data um, that I get off of the mass spectrometer. Yeah. Um, and it's like a puzzle. Um, I have to spend some time looking at it, um, figuring out how confident I am in these results. Um, and I have to solve it before I can go back to my collaborators and say, okay, here is what I found. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes this goes back a little bit to some of the challenges. I think sometimes there's a perception that the mass spectrometer just prints out a picture of what's going on. But <laughs> it only. is more like it printed out a thousand piece puzzle that I then have to put together. Uh, and sometimes in the worst case scenario, it prints out a thousand piece puzzle, but half of the pieces are missing. Ah. Um, and you still and need I to, have to go identify back to my the collaborator picture and say, I need more sample. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, if you want me to help you, I need more sample. Um, yeah. So. Um, but, yeah, it's... it's Some of my favorite days have been just sort of pouring over the data um, and just getting to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you look for in the data? So I look for... It depends on what I'm doing. Um in, in sort of these, the cases that I've been talking about before, um, I look for proteins that might be implicated in some of the processes that we know to be impacted um, from our collaborators. Again, um, that is information that I get from them. Um, and I look for, I, but I also look for proteins that having done some sort of analysis on it, we're pretty confident are changed but that hadn't really been uncovered before, because that's an interesting finding, too. Yeah. Um, I, do, I do sort of two things. I can look for novel findings, and I can look for sort of confirmation of some things that we know, because that's a nice sanity check. Mm-hmm. That's a nice to say, okay, we understand this system, but there's also this new information about it. Yeah. And in research, too, you know, there's... One one scientist or one group of scientists or one, you know, institution, say they perform experiment A, that's not the last time experiment A is ever going to be performed. What they find no. is not the be-all, end-all. So I think that really underscores additional importance of, like you call them, like the sanity checks to, hey, is this still true? You know, mm-hmm. are we still understanding this the correct way? Because right. there have been times, right, where where Mm -hmm. in science we think we have it figured out and then boom like a new discovery and it's all kind of not all thrown to the you know to the side but you know it really throws a wrench in in the understanding sure yeah 
Yeah, but another fun thing about being where I am is I get to use some really cool cutting-edge technology. I touched on this very briefly earlier, but um, one of our instruments has an add-on. We were the first ones to get it in the U.S. Um, Wait, what? There are less than 10. I think we're looking at between 5 and 10 in the whole world. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's really cool. Do you go in and you look at it and you're just like, oh my gosh, I get to use that. That's what I would do. I would literally literally tomorrow morning, I'm getting on a phone call with the people who made it um, Mm -hmm. because we're having some trouble with it um, and they're going to help us fix it. That's very cool. And I just, I love that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So you said it's an add-on. What you know, what does it add, I guess, in in the case of the mass spec? Yeah, so the way that mass spec works, the way that you can start to see sort of what order the peptide goes together in or where there might be changes on the peptide is by breaking it. Um, and so a lot, the, the, the mass spec that we had um, before the add-on Um, And it still does this, I should say. Um, Like, you can still use the base model. It is as if I hit it with a hammer. Um, Mm -hmm. But that can can lose you some information. If you have a modification to the peptide that's maybe a little bit fragile, um, you hit it with a hammer, you lose information about it. Mm. Um, And so what this add-on does is it breaks it in a different way. Now, instead of hitting it with a hammer, I'm coming in with a pair of scissors um, and cutting it specifically. Um, and so I, that is a little bit more um, delicate, I guess is the word. And so I keep my information about my fragile modifications. Hmm. That's really cool. That is um, so cool. And so I think what, what's so neat about that is that because we we did we were losing information about those modifications, they weren't very well understood. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so now with this new technology, like there's a whole new field of information that is available to us that I get to sort of make more knowable. I guess. Yeah. Um. I heard. I. I'm quoting Bill Nye when I say that, but I don't know that he was the one to like Bill originate Nye, that. Science guy. Um, but I, what I do now and what I want to keep doing um, is to develop tools so that other scientists can use them and start to get a more complete picture of what's happening in whatever system it is that they're studying. Joe, this is really throwing me back. And Margaret, I'm sure you've heard the episode too, since you're Sam's girlfriend, the astrophysicist um, episode that we had with Kenneth, where he talked about how he really focuses on the tools so other scientists can do their work. And I just, I think that is so amazing that we've had two people on this podcast that do that, because I feel like you guys don't get a lot of credit right for like the tool work that like they don't just come out of nowhere like you don't you know mass spec they don't grow on trees in case they do not <laughs> in case our yeah. listeners didn't know they drunk they don't grow on trees and you need really people with in- so much knowledge and background to use them to actually get the insights you want so um i just think that's an area of science that isn't talked about nearly enough it's just like the think more nitty gritty tech like the deep tech of science yeah yeah i um it, from a philosophical perspective i think a lot of what we understand about the world like in science is based on what we can actually see and test and measure and maybe like it's it's hard to like test subjective things but like things that we can like quantify um, sure, there may be like subjective interpretations about like what, what, what like a different amount of protein in one sample versus another means, but like we can only do experiments with things that we can actually measure or manipulate mm-hmm. or observe. And so, 
or, or observe. Yeah. And so having ha- like making new tools or making new ways of measuring things like mass spec, like that's, it's, it literally incre- uh, from, I guess from a philosophical perspective, at least in my opinion, it ex- literally expands what we can perceive about the natural world. And I think that is like the coolest thing ever. And in many ways, like those are like I from my from my my field like of like more molecular biology, like gene editing, like CRISPR, um, which maybe we'll have an episode about at some point in the future. Like that that is um like a perfect example of like just a thing that is completely paradigm shifting. And in the same way, Matt, I think mass spec doesn't get the same amount of like fame in many ways, but it's probably equally important um, for understanding, in this case, proteins versus like genes. And so, yeah, I think that's super cool. And this like new add-on that you've mentioned, like I, I want to, I want to do a collaboration at some point <laughs> like that. That would be, I mean, like put me on your, your list of like your 10, the 10,000 people who want to, uh, <laughs> who want to work with you so they can understand what's going on in their samples. Um, but I, one other thing I want to ask you just to add a little context for our listeners, like how expensive is one of these machines? Oh my gosh. Um, on the order of a million dollars. Um, oh, only a million. I remember <laughs> this, um, because during my internship in undergrad, we moved, our lab moved, mm-hmm. um, just like down the street. Um, yeah. but it was still like a whole production, um, and one of the, the newest, fanciest mass spec went in a truck by itself because mm-hmm. the trucks were insured for a million dollars. So. Wow. That is that is the sort of money that we're talking about. Um, you handle a million dollars a day. <laughs> when you put I, it like that, <laughs> I can't believe they let me do it. it but Don't break it. <laughs> I, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I, <laughs> I just, yeah, I, 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 yeah. When, when you put it that way, it's a little mind boggling. Yeah. But also like I, I, for, for our listeners, like I, I've known Margaret for a while and of any, like of all the people I know, she is the person that I would trust to handle million, uh, like a piece of equipment that costs a million dollars. Like she's like one of the most meticulous and detail-oriented and conscientious people I know. And so I think... Um, well, thank you. Like, there, 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 there's no one that I would trust more uh, to handle that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, just just putting that out there. <laughs> our, 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 our mass spec tech is in good hands. Um, <laughs> despite me joking about breaking it. but uh, <laughs> Don't let the intrusive thoughts win. <laughs> <laughs> you're like just was smashed on the ground no I'm, I'm i'm margaret's like i literally would never do that like why are you making that joke no, I, i've come disturbingly close to dropping some very expensive things mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. yeah but I, I i just need to know better than to try to do complicated things at like five o'clock on a friday um yes yeah. yep the because that's the only time that's happened is and like I am I'm here way too late. Like I just should go home and try again on Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Make makes a lot of sense. Work life balance. Yeah. I guess uh we've touched on it a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh so what what are we what are we talking about? We talked about uh just some of the really cool, interesting experiments you you you've done, like hypothesis driven versus hypothesis free research. The importance of collaboration, new tech, developing new technologies. Like, wow. That's a lot. Everything you could ever want in a podcast episode brought to you by us. Yeah. I, uh, Margaret, if, um, in the last few minutes here, like, do you have any thoughts or advice for our listeners kind of related to these kinds of questions we've talked about? Like any, any kind of like final, final thoughts? Yeah, just to say that um, when I started this work, I was super intimidated by it. Like, I had only really heard of mass spec in, like, my orgo class, and it didn't really make sense to me then. 
but mm-hmm. I had a really wonderful supportive group to teach me and so finding that sort of mentorship and support has been key mm-hmm. um and just don't be afraid to ask questions um find yourself in an environment where you can if you if you don't feel like you can then it's the wrong environment so true um foster one that, of the, a place that will foster that growth one of the biggest things that made me comfortable in my lab now is I would be in a lab meeting and I would think of a question. I would sort of sit on it for a second. Like, okay, maybe they're going to get to it. Maybe this is kind of a silly question, like whatever. Um, And then the senior grad student would raise her hand. And this happened a few times. She would ask either the exact question I was thinking of or something very similar. And that sort of taught me that it was okay to ask sort of whatever question I had in my head. Because I was always going to be kind of hard on myself and think like, oh, I should know this. Like, I shouldn't need to ask. Mm -hmm. But seeing that modeled was so important for me. And now as, as terrifying as it is, being the senior grad student in my lab... Um, I'm trying to model that for like the undergrads and the like junior people in our group. And I'm sure you do a great job. Thank you. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining. It's been so awesome having you on the podcast. Um, Thank you for having me. Of course. Of course. Um, This is an area that we were definitely super interested in um, and doesn't get a it doesn't get a lot of coverage so thought that this would be like a great way to kind of introduce our our audience to um what you do um so thank you so much for joining listeners uh if you are returning you know where to find us on social this episode was certainly pretty derpy at certain sections i'm like but that that's how we do it that's how we do it it's how we show that we are not robots of white coats yes um but yeah, th- thank you again so much, Margaret. It's awesome to have you, and maybe we'll have you on again here. sometime. 